This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Welcome to the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast. My name is Sam and I'm your host and I'm joined as always and especially this time of year by Merry Christmas. Richard Blackaby. <laughs> Merry You're Christmas. You're the hostess with the mostest. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's not get carried away here, but uh, it is probably my favorite time of year and that is Christmas time and we've yeah, been... Uh, presents. Oh, presents, uh, eggnog, <laughs> food, and I have fireplaces. Egg, I'm, I'm expect, I've got the eggnog for you to make me a latte with, okay, so well, next we'll, time you're we'll over. make it happen, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Uh, you know, there's just, there's so many great uh, traditions that go along yeah. with the Christmas holidays and it's, it is probably the most wonderful time of year uh, for, for most people. Um, I, I don't think I'm alone in, in that <laughs> sentiment. Um, but so if you're listening to this, uh, when it drops, it's, it's only three days, I think till Christmas. Yeah. And, uh, I hope so, you got your shopping done. I, yeah. yeah I, thankfully I've, uh, I've learned to just do all that pretty early. And so I don't have to stress at the last minute, <laughs> but, uh, if you, if there are any last minute shoppers out there, uh, good luck yeah. <laughs> as, yeah. as yes. you find the toys and whatever else you need for the holidays. Um, well, this is a good time that, uh, it's a time of year to reflect on, on things on this year. Uh, perhaps most people don't want to really reflect on this year. We'd rather just forget yeah. it and move on. Um, but, uh, it's also a time to remember, why we even celebrate Christmas. And so you've, you've got something here that uh, I think is very uh, intriguing, and I think our listeners are, are in for a treat. Yeah, I, well, you know, I thought maybe just to begin, I, I want to talk about the unexpected Jesus um, at Christmas time. Uh, and I thought maybe just to begin with, talking for just a, a second about Christmas traditions, it, um, I don't know about you, if there's a, a tradition in your family that you just had to do, like that there's no other way, no alternative. It wouldn't be Christmas if we didn't do this. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what my, my mother, certainly we had some of those, and a lot of them related around food. It wasn't really Christmas unless you had, you know, and it, it, the right I, food, the right I'd, place settings. Well, I'd come back from from uh, college or something, and as soon as I walked in the door, mom would have to show me. Okay, now here's where the the these the Nanaimo bars are. Here's where the the divinity is, or the the tarts, and and, and it was like, okay, we can have Christmas now because all the food's in place, and mm-hmm. and it, there were just numerous kind of traditions that. Uh, you had to do. And yeah. it's interesting. I've kind of found the younger my kids were, it seemed like growing up at least, the more traditional they became. Like my oldest, Mike, was probably the most loosey-goosey about doing it this way or that way. But the younger they went, the more it had, well, but dad, we have to do that. We always yeah. do that. And um, where there was just decorating the tree and certain thing had to always be at the top of the tree. And, um, and uh, you know, I, Lisa... My wife is probably the least traditional. She's uh, always game for, you know, change things up. And uh, let's, let's, for her about every year, it's like, okay, I've got a new theme for the Christmas tree. We're out with all the old ornaments. Well, those are only a year old. <laughs> it's like, I got, Doesn't we, we have to. It's got to go. Yeah. So it's like, uh, and food as well. Like, I think some years we do traditional sort of turkey or ham or whatever. And some years it's like, well, let's just do taco salad this year for christmas dinner and or something and uh that's you know it's probably heresy yeah (laughs) but uh what i think is interesting is that um 
uh, we have many, and and I think traditions are good. I think it's I think it sort of helps give families identity. Yeah. Uh, our family always does this, or this is special, and and it could be a very low key, inexpensive kind of thing. You know, I just might read the Christmas story every Christmas Eve together, but but it's what you always do. Yeah, and I think that's fine. I think I, I'm a historian. I like uh, traditional stuff uh, to a point, but uh, you're a traditional guy. Yeah, fairly, I think. Uh, <laughs> but um, but at the same time, what's interesting to me is that we we can become quite legalistic about Christmas in some ways about what how it's supposed to be, and yet Christmas itself, the first one, was very untraditional. Mm. Uh, Jesus broke all kinds of rules, all kinds of expectations that everybody was watching for. Hmm. It was like, well, Jesus, that's not how you're supposed to do Christmas. Uh, but it's like, well, but I'm, it's well, the, about me. The long Christmas tradition that preceded Jesus, you know. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, but there were lots of expectations. You know, yeah. you go back to the 8th century BC and Isaiah and people are, are already predicting how it's going to be. And uh, where Jesus is going to be born and uh, all kinds of details about his birth and so on. Um, and so, I mean, not often do you have an eighth century lead up, uh, to something. Uh, sometimes it sounds that it seems that way with, uh, American elections. <laughs> it seems like you've been going for eight centuries. Yeah, but, definitely. Um, but, uh, the fact is that there was a lot written, a lot speculated, and people had pretty well kind of made up their minds about what uh, Christmas was supposed to be like. And then uh, it, it it just wasn't what people were expecting. Yeah. And and so I, I think there's some things maybe to, to take from that, especially as you're walking with God in your life, in your leadership. Uh, are you comfortable following a Lord who breaks lots of human rules, who, who, who doesn't do what people expect? Hmm. Um, he, he, his ways are not our ways. And we, we tend to think when we think of God, we tend to think of him as just a, a really smart us, you know, like yeah. he's basically like us and values us. He, he just doesn't make mistakes. He's never tired and groggy and he's never careless, but he's just basically a super version of us. And hmm. so he, he likes all the same things, has the same goals. He's just stronger and smarter at doing it. But, but basically, he's just like a, a you know, superhero who has all of our best qualities. And, and that's not really what God's like. He's not like us. We're, we're made in his image. We kind of reflect him in some ways. But he's, he's not just better than us. He's different than us. And he doesn't see things the way we do. Hmm. And so... So certainly that's reflected in Christmas. And I think sometimes our mistake is when and when people get disappointed with God, it's because he doesn't do what we thought he should do or would do. Yeah. And it's like, well, I, God, I prayed and I was asking you to do this and then you didn't do that. Uh, or I assume that because I'm a Christian and I'm trying to honor you, that you would bless my business and increase profits and so on. And instead we're facing bankruptcy now and um, God, you disappointed me because you yeah. didn't do what I thought you would do. Well, and you know what's so fascinating is I think there's a, a ton of stories of uh, people who get thrown the curveball of life and uh, they realize that it's actually in the the breaking of that tradition, uh, things not turning out the way they expected, that, that they do encounter God and they yeah. do 
set their life on a course that they would have never even dreamed possible prior to that. And that's also sort of in a, in a macro sense, that's the Christmas story is that it is that just totally unexpected. Um, and I like what you said there about, um, traditions being legalistic about traditions and i think that happens on a societal level and on a uh, family level mm-hmm. and so a I church think, level and a church level and a community level so yeah. i think uh, i think that's interesting to to just think about those traditions uh in in christmas both in a in a community setting but also in your family setting and and you know what what is it about those traditions that you care so much about and might you be okay with a little bit of a shakeup? Yeah, and I think sometimes that's what God does. It's not that He doesn't love you, but it's like He's He, He does His best work after He has shaken up your world a little bit. Yeah, and you're it's you're not in control, and it's not all going to happen just according to your plan. Uh, now there's room and space for God to do something that that He likes and that He values. And uh, well, you know, we 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 expect the Christmas story now. And so it doesn't seem unexpected to us yeah. looking back. Yeah. So maybe share with us sure. what are the ways that, that his coming, the first Christmas, uh, was unexpected. Yeah, and several things. Uh, some of these are, uh, yeah, I think we're pretty familiar with, but but one is just the place. Uh, where did it Where did it happen? You would think if you're the king of kings, the lord of lords, the most powerful ruler ever upon the, the planet, that you're you're going to be in born in a place that's kingly, that's uh, magnificent, that that is, surpasses all human palaces and castles and and places like that. And so, I mean, at the very least, as a Jewish Messiah, you would assume he'd be born in Jerusalem. Uh, that is the holy city. Uh, that is where all the powerful people were, and where you expected important things to happen, where the the temple was. Or if uh, perhaps even, but I mean, that being said, Jerusalem was even in its magnificence was something of a backwater city compared to the Roman Empire, because really, if you're going to be the dominant even over the current government and and empire of Rome, then you'd be born in Rome or a huge palace there, or perhaps in Athens in Greece. Uh, Alexandria in Egypt was uh, one of the most magnificent cities in the world at the time. So lots of places that you could be born, but nobody would have predicted Bethlehem. Yeah, uh, a little village, even to this day, it's just a very insignificant little rural place uh, that just lives or dies by tourism that comes there to see where Jesus was born. But uh, uh, insignificant place, and of course, when you look at history, you realize that a lot of the great movements in history have begun in insignificant, out-of-the-way places, yeah. uh, the unexpected place. Uh, we tend to always expect that uh, saviors, even in t- today's uh, terminology, will come uh, to rescue us uh, from important places, from mm-hmm. uh, this consulting agency will we'll drop in yeah. and, and solve our problems and uh, uh, or this new software or something that from expected places and yet don't don't be surprised if the answers to your problems come that god sends in an unexpected place uh and uh a lot could be said about that but uh, yeah well i even think of you know businesses and culture you know we expect it to come out of silicon valley or you know out of new york or whatever la you know we expect the the big movements from there but but oftentimes it, it they don't start there yeah and it's been interesting just sometimes 
even in my own life, just personally, when I really needed encouragement or I needed answers, uh, it didn't. God didn't send them from the source I thought they would. Mm. Uh, they came from an. Unex- it might have just been someone on the shop floor that made a comment, and I thought it would be around my leadership team meeting, but it, it didn't happen there. Yeah, well, maybe uh, it's time to examine that leadership team. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, as you enter in 2021, be open to God doing a fresh work in unexpected places in mm-hmm. your life as well and in your in your organization. A second thing is just uh, a carpenter. Uh, if you're going to raise, if you're, you're going to have your son raised in a home to be the king of kings, I mean, who are you going to put him with? Like, I, you know, I, when uh, Philip of Macedon, I believe it was, uh, was, uh, was going to educate his son, Alexander, who became Alexander the Great, uh, he he got Aristotle to help uh, teach him and educate him, uh, and of yeah, course Aristotle at the time is uh, the the most uh, famous philosopher scientist uh, that the world had seen. He's got a few credits uh, to his name. Yeah, and it makes uh, makes sense if you're a king and you're going to raise up a king, get the most famous teacher possible and groom them and so on. Uh, Nero was uh, taught for a time, not taught well, but by Seneca, uh, a great uh, Stoic philosopher. Uh, so here you have the Son of God going to be trained and educated. And so of all the homes God could put him in, he puts him in a carpenter's home. Now you think he might have put him in a king's home yeah. uh, or maybe a philosopher's home uh, or a priest's home. But uh, to put him in the home of a carpenter, a, a man who worked with his hands, might might have had no more, I mean, maybe no books at all in his home. Um, a devout man, and I think last year we talked a bit about Joseph and his character. Yeah. But, I mean, carpentry at that time, that didn't just mean like doing just fancy woodwork. Uh, that I mean, he might have made tables and stools and things like that. It could also meant he was working with stone. Um you, you did, you know, hauling trees and logs and large pieces of wood. Uh, you had to be strong. Uh, you didn't have all the power tools that uh, that we would have now. And so, you know, Jesus was probably a pretty strong young man uh, doing hard labor under his father. Uh, and uh, and his, and by the time Jesus is an adult, we don't hear of his dad anymore. His mom will show up at some things, but you, you kind of get the impression his dad's probably dead at that point, and maybe just died, you know, young age, uh, from our standards at least, by from working hard. So, well, you know, and it's interesting that you know when you talk about like the great rulers sending their children off to be trained by the best, and and you think of that in sort of like a as a parent, you want the very best for your kids. Yeah. And you're like, well, if this person is going to learn how to do X, well, then I want them to go to the best school or the best whatever. And so I guess it begs the question, what value is there in not doing that, in, in picking the carpenter to have your your son trained under? And it's, you know, I don't want to go too far down the road there, but... Uh, well, you know, you think about, like, Jesus, maybe he's there uh, sitting around the table... And there's a knock at the door, and uh, here comes uh, his father answers the door, and this person starts telling his dad Joseph, you know, this is this I've got this stool. We only have like three three places to sit in our whole home. Our, it's a humble little home, and this stool has been passed down through the generations. And but this leg broke, and now I can't 
I can't use it anymore. And uh, it's and but it's we don't have much furniture. Furniture is expensive. And is there any hope? Any anything we can do? And and um, you know, I'd I'd love to think that Joseph kind of looked at it for a moment and said, "Oh yeah, we can fix this. Like it's not beyond hope." Uh, it, are you sure? Like, is there some way you do you think you could fix this? Oh yeah, yeah. Don't you know? Give me a couple of days. I'll get back to you. And Jesus is watching his dad, the master carpenter, take broken things and make it hmm. good as new again. And uh, and well, this has got scratched or this has been marred. Is there any hope? Oh yeah, we can we can fix that. It'll you won't be able to see that anymore when I'm done. And you just kind of wonder like what kind of lessons did he learn from a carpenter? Yeah. That instead of working with wood, Jesus would use with lives and people um, to make them good as new yeah. and uh to take those scars and the brokenness and to mend lives uh as well and uh you, you just wonder like why did god think that the savior of the world ought to be raised by a carpenter who who fixed things who built things who knew how to make things solid and not uh, flimsy yeah uh I, we imagine joseph had integrity he Told, I'm sure you could trust him to tell you the truth and not overcharge you. To uh, and there, there's just a lot about his Joseph's character in the Bible that indicates indicates he was a man of integrity and so on. And so, um, he, so so God chooses to put him in the home of a of a working person, which I also I think tells me don't ever underestimate working people. And, yeah. Uh, and don't ever lose touch with them. If you, if God puts you into white collar executive offices, don't ever lose touch because even God himself wanted his son, uh, to be in regular contact and, uh, mentorship of working people like a, like a carpenter. Yeah. Uh, and then third, of course, is the virgin birth. And, um, and of course the virgin birth was considered impossible. <laughs> yeah. And so again, uh, if you were to say to, uh, to the, the Jewish priest of the day, your Messiah is going to come and he's going to be born of a virgin, uh, they would have said, well, things like, well, that's never been done before or yeah. that's impossible. And that's, that's I, not how it works. Yeah. And I think as a leader, especially in these days ahead, you've got to be prepared for God to do the impossible. You've got to be open to God doing something through you and your organization that's never been done before. God kind of delights in doing that. Uh, don't tell God something's impossible. That's what he specializes in. And yeah. the virgin birth, I think, is in many ways, it's one of the great, if not the greatest miracle of all, is that God could become human, could could limit himself to actually become his like his creation. Uh, which is an enormous, enormous transformation from the the awesomeness of God into being a, a little frail, helpless uh, human baby uh, is a is a miracle that we I, it's hard even to get our mind around. And and most uh, the Greeks, the Romans would have said it, it's just not possible. That can't happen. Um, and yet, so I think that we, we never want to lose the, the miracle of that. Uh, yeah. It's not a miracle for a woman to have a baby. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a wonderful act of God, but for God to be born into it as a human baby, now that is truly miraculous. And for a woman to get pregnant without any help of a man, that's also unheard of. Yeah. And, uh, so, 
I think especially in 2021, be open to God doing something unlike you've ever seen before. Mm. Uh, be open to that. Um, don't say to God that's impossible or that we've never done that before. Christmas reminds us that when it comes to important stuff, sometimes that's God's preferred method is a fresh new approach um, that's never been done. Uh, and the fourth thing is just uh, lineage. Uh, and again, when you look at Matthew's gospel, I think uh, you, you never want to kind of race past the fact that when God uh, in the scripture lists who are all the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, uh, there's, there's just an interesting mix there. I mean, again, if you were trying to just write, if you're just trying to write fiction, just trying to come up with a religion, you would have probably written a gene- genealogy where all these mighty warriors and great pr- prophets and, and philosophers, just one after another in a long line would have uh, come along. And you, you would say, wow, this guy, look at the breeding this guy had. Just think of the genes at work in uh, him. But when you look at Jesus, it's interesting in the kind of characters that normally you would have been probably embarrassed to have in your family tree. Yeah, uh, especially in Matthew's account, you've got Tamar, who uh, is the daughter-in-law of, of Judah, and uh, you know her husband dies, and and then she, her 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 uh, brother-in-laws are supposed to marry her and and help her to have children and so on, and and they're so wicked that God actually kills the brothers-in-law, and <laughs> finally Tamar has to seduce her own father-in-law just to get herself pregnant. She act, acts like a prostitute. Um, so you've got, you know, basically someone prostituting herself with her (laughs) father-in-law and she's in the, in one of the, the great, 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 great grandmothers of Jesus. Mm. And it's like, you've got Bathsheba, uh, pretty famous, uh, adulterer, uh, adulteress with, with King David that is in that family. You have Rahab in Jericho, who most people suspect was uh, a harlot as well. Uh, and a Canaanite woman, um, and yet she adds her genes in down the human tree uh, and, and line uh, to Jesus. And uh, and you've got Ruth, who's a Moabite. Uh, again, not uh, she's uh, not even Jewish, uh, but um, she adds her lineage. She's like the great grandmother of David. Uh, and then you've got Mary, uh, just a, a she's Jewish, uh, well, uh, devout young lady, probably just a teenager, who's the mother. And you, so you've got teenagers, you've got foreigners, you've got prostitutes, adulterers, um, a really mixed bag of people. And you would have thought, hey, if you're just making this stuff up, you need to clean up this uh, genealogy here and come up with yeah. some better characters here, because that's going to be kind of embarrassing. Uh, the 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 stuff coming out of Jesus is. Uh, closet in his lineage. And yet, uh, I think, you know, that says a lot, I think, uh, and it just says Jesus is everybody's savior. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jesus represents everybody. Uh, he doesn't get himself upgraded so that everybody around him are kings and princes and princesses, but, um, anybody can relate to him. And, uh, and so I don't know, even for our listeners, if you ever kind of get down on yourself or your past to say, uh, I kind of feel like a second-rate Christian or a second-rate person. Uh, Jesus, he, he he can speak to that, and uh, he, in fact, he represents that. And yeah. uh, a lot of what makes him who he is comes from 
ordinary, sinful, broken people that God redeemed. And uh, that's kind of his specialty. So if you go into Christmas and maybe you've had a tough year and you've been, and maybe you've kind of been hard on yourself, um, just realize that that's the kind of Messiah that, that was sent to the earth, someone that speaks that language and understands that pain and has answers for what you're going through. Well, it's a beautiful story, and it's a uh, it's just a um, a beautiful look at at uh, who our Savior is and uh, what He came to do. So let's take a quick break, and we'll wrap up when we come back. Experiencing God has touched the lives of millions of people. We've recently developed a study into an online class that you can take with people from around the world. There is video content specific for this online class, along with a live stream Q&A with the Blackabees. Registration is open now for the next class, which runs from January 11th to April 4th. Register and find out more at blackaby.org slash online classes. Links will be in the show notes. Well, Richard, as we uh, wrap up this special Christmas edition of the podcast, uh, what are the last couple things that we can give our listeners as we go into the, the final stretch here yeah. of the Christmas season. Yeah, let me just, if I just kind of race through a couple of last ones. One, think about taxes. Uh, the whole thing kind of gets started because uh, Joseph has to go and pay his tax. He has to register for a census so that he can get taxed. And uh, the, the Roman government, the Roman emperors are dominant. Everybody is assuming that they are the powers on the earth and what then they're rules and laws and taxes are what govern everybody and in the midst of roman emperors and this the, the, the mightiest empire that the world had ever seen god is just steadily carrying out his purposes uh and you, no one makes note of that no one comments on the day jesus is born in rome oh a, a great king has been born today it's completely unnoticed everybody's talking about what what uh, Augustus is doing, what the Roman Empire is doing. Yeah. And I think we just need to not lose sight of that, that uh, we can get so obsessed with what government is doing that we miss out on what the King of Kings mm. is up to. Uh, and uh, and time is another one. Uh, mentioned taxes, also time. Uh, when Jesus does suddenly burst onto the scene when all of a sudden angels uh, announce to the shepherds uh, the, the news of great joy, uh, it's basically been 400 years since uh, the last activity recorded in the Bible of God doing something. You get to Malachi uh, in the, the end of the Old Testament, and then there's a 400-year period until the Gospels begin. And, uh, and and I think we just have to remember that God uh, is not as rapidly necessarily doing some things that we would like him to. He, he he often moves slower than we would like, but uh, decisively. And so I think you, we just have to realize when you get into the Gospels there at the beginning of the New Testament that 400 years has gone by. So don't get impatient with God. Uh, it, he, sometimes yeah. he's going to make you get a little aggravated in, in, in the fact you have to wait, but uh, uh, but it's worth the wait. And when Jesus finally arrives on, on schedule, on God's schedule, uh, nothing is ever the same again. Uh, and then there's also a mixed reaction. It's interesting. That I think one thing that's unique about the Christmas story is just the different way people respond. You got wise men traveling from the east, traveling day after day, week after week, uh, to because they know something important has happened. You've got shepherds in the middle of their night shift, suddenly interrupted by angels, and they're scurrying off to try to find uh, this child. You've got 
people like Herod, who are, when they hear about it, they're trying to kill this baby. Um, you've got, you've got uh, religious scholars in Jerusalem that when, when the wise men show up in Jerusalem and start asking, well, where is this king that's born? Uh, these Bible scholars, these scripture scholars, they know that prophecies say it's in, it'll be in Bethlehem. But but none of them go there. That's the thing that's so interesting. The wise men say, "Oh, okay, it's in Bethlehem. Well, then, then we'll head there." Not one scholar says, "Well, hey, if you if you know something we don't know, we we'll, we'll go too. Uh, we'll check this out." But they they know where this, the Messiah is supposed to be born, but they don't go and try to find him. Mm. Uh, the, the wise men go on. They the, the, that's why they're wise, I guess. Uh, yeah. And the people who know the Bible. The religious leaders, none of them even bother to travel five miles out of town uh, to, to check out what these wise men say has just happened. And you, you realize throughout history, there's always been that breadth of, of uh, reaction, where there's some yeah. people dropping everything and trying to find this Jesus, and others, they know all the answers, they know what the scriptures say, but they're not going to you know, move an inch uh, mm. in that direction. And then maybe the last two things, uh, well, last three things, I guess. One is that it's interesting Jesus moved a number of times. Like he, he starts out in a manger, then he moves to a house in Bethlehem, then they have to escape to Egypt, and then they come back. They think they're going to move to Judah, and they end up uh, up in uh, Nazareth. And so here's Jesus, by the time he's just a, a boy, has lived in at least four different places. We don't know how much he moved around in Egypt. But we do know that he was in at least four different locations yeah. uh, by the time he's just a, a boy. Some of our listeners may have moved around a lot, may yeah. not feel like you have a hometown. Well, Jesus could probably identify with you. He didn't just grow up. We always think of him as just always growing up the whole time in one place. But uh, he was actually in exile in Egypt for a while. And, uh, and, he, and he, they moved to Nazareth because uh, the guy that was ruling over the Bethlehem area was kind of a tyrant as well and uh, a relative of Herod. And so uh, that that's sort of interesting to me. We, You know, Jesus represents a lot. And, and if you didn't yeah. grow up all your life in the same hometown where everybody knew you and loved you, you maybe moved around a lot uh, in your life. Jesus understands that. And uh, kind of connected to that, just the role of Egypt in the whole Bible narrative. It's interesting, yeah. you know, I, uh, Abraham, w- during a famine, he, he goes down to Egypt, kind of gets into a bit of trouble down there. But uh, uh, Jacob ends up going down there during the famine, and his son Joseph is running the place. And, yeah. uh, they end up spending 400 years there. Jesus, when uh, Herod tries to kill him, his family escapes to Egypt to get away. Uh, Jeremiah gets taken to Egypt uh, at a certain point. You, you, when you read through the Old Testament, it's just interesting how much Egypt kind of is interwoven. Yeah. And it into seems that to story. always be sort of representative of the world or the the not chosen people, I guess yeah. you could say. And yet, you know, and yet all the Jesus, <laughs> Jesus's life may be spared, you know, early on from King yeah, Herod. He stays there until Herod dies. Uh, Egypt becomes a place of escape. Um, and then maybe just, uh, the last thing is, uh, joy. I just, I'd hate to not mention the fact that, uh, w- despite all the, the change, the surprises, the unorthodox way in which Jesus is born, mm-hmm. uh, the bottom line is joy. Uh, it's, it didn't happen the way people thought it would. He didn't become a king leading an army and overthrowing uh, the Romans, uh, but the net result was a lot of joy. And, and I, I, and I certainly, I know Sam yours and my prayer for our listeners as they go into this week of Christmas is yeah. 
that despite COVID and so much heartache and pain and suffering and death that has happened, um, still, because of God, we can have joy, even in the, and I, I'm not minimizing the pain and suffering. Right. Uh, Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross uh, to be crucified, and yet he prayed, oh, I, God, I pray that my disciples would have my joy. And yeah. so you can have joy even in the worst of times because of the fact that God is Emmanuel, that that means God is with us. Yeah. And so our certainly our prayers for our listeners is, that there will be much laughter in your home this week, that if you do have relatives that were able to uh, join you for Christmas, uh, that or if it's just you and um, you know a parent or a child or whoever it might be, if you're by yourself, uh, that, uh, that God's presence in your life will still give you joy. And uh, you, won't, you may not be able to explain it except that, that God is with mm-hmm. you. And as long as you've got God with you, there's lots of reasons still to have joy. Well, what a great word and uh, just an encouragement to all of us as we uh, look to Christmas. And uh, we just, again, echo that prayer of Richard's uh, over our listeners. And uh, we hope you all have a Merry Christmas and we'll see you in 2021. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackv.org.